Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Father, now speak to us. Your word, your will, break through our many defenses. And may we humbly submit to what you would speak to us, your will for our lives, that our lives might be most full. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our text this morning from the Gospel of John, I've preached several times, but as I, as I look at the text anew, I've, I've always am finding new things in, in the passage. The depths of the Lord's word are um, ultimately unexplorable by, by human hearts and minds. They far transcend anything that we can do to fully understand what God would speak to us. And so this morning, I'm going to tell the story that I've told so many times, and it's a story that was not included in some of the oldest manuscripts of the scriptures. And it wasn't until the second century that this was really, this really came forward. And it's believed that because it was so controversial that that it was sort of um, kind of a scrap to the side, not not so much a part of the regular corpus of of passages of of the New Testament, but sort of a sort of an extra, an add-on, or an annex. And it's for a couple of reasons that this is the case, because as the Christian church made its way into the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was such a depraved place that many of, of the early church thought that this could be misinterpreted as a way of giving permission to some of that depravity. But the story is so Jesus. You can't make this stuff up. It is so clearly the action of the Savior and so consistent with the perceived behaviors of Jesus, not just in the Gospel of John, but in in all of the Gospels, that it was included. So I read to you from the Gospel of John, the eighth chapter. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. He stooped down again and wrote in the dust. 
Then the accusers, when they heard this, slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. May God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. Last night I was at a, at a wedding. Felt kind of weird. I got out of the car. I wasn't doing the wedding. I'm always carrying a robe and a book or something like that. So I got out empty-handed and I almost turned back to see what I'd forgotten. But it was at, I was at this wedding and the brother of the groom did the service. It was a wonderful time. And afterwards I was sitting at, at, the, uh, at the table uh, this was an outside wedding out in the Golden Gate Estates. I'm sitting at the table, and all these people were there. And I, I was so fortunate. I was sitting close to a young couple who had this little teeny little girl. She was about nine months old, just the cutest thing. And, and then along comes mom. Well, mom was there, of course, holding the baby. Then comes grandma and great-grandma. And I, I just sat and was struck by the fact, here are all these, these women, these beautiful women who were the, those who had gone before, those who had made that, that precious little one possible. And I was just struck by the beauty. And, and also, of course, I had sermon anxiety. I'm not supposed to be out on Saturday night, and I'm thinking about the sermon as I'm watching these, these people. And I, I just thought about the reality of what we call sexual sin. And I'm going to share a quote from Lewis in a moment, but I'm happy for what he says because in actual observation of human life, yes, there's sexual sin, and there's a lot of it, but when it comes right down to it, two people crash together and out pops a baby. It's the most wonderful thing. And it, it's, it's one, of those, one of those things that, that we can't feel too horrible about. Yeah, you know, there's sin that is, re, that is that which emerges from human desire and human impulses, and then there's the kind of sin that results comes forth from, from violence and hatred and uh, all the stuff that we see going on so often. But somehow it just doesn't seem that we should be so hard on, on the humanity of two people coming together, uh, loving one another. And even though they, you know, they may foul up along the way, there might be mistakes in this and there might be all kinds of violations that occur. But here's what Lewis has to say. C.S. Lewis, if anyone, thinks Christian, if anyone thinks Christians regard sexual sin as the supreme vice, he is quite wrong. All sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are merely spiritual. The pleasure of 
putting other people in the wrong, of bossing and patronizing and spoiling sport and backbiting, the pleasures of power, of hatred. For there are two things inside of me. There are the animal self and the diabolical self. And the diabolical self is the worst of the two. That is why a cold, self-righteous prude who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. And so the denominational authorities are out to get Jesus. They want to get him any, any way they possibly can. And how they found this woman early in the morning committing an act of adultery is really suspect at the very start of it all. And there's no guy. And so it, it kind of hints that there might be something very wrong going on here, that this was a plot. And this woman was going to be used as a tool for them to, to gouge Jesus. And they bring her, and you know the story, she's brought before the people that Jesus is talking to, the, the authorities then interrupt what Jesus is saying and make this declaration. The law says, and this woman, so Jesus, what do you say? Now, the Gospel of John is written by, I believe, the apostle himself, the youngest of the apostles. And as you read through the Gospel, you'd notice the excruciating detail with which he writes and remembers. There's much to attest to an early authorship of John. But the one instance in which we have Jesus writing is here. He gets down on his knee and says he writes in the dust. And yet John doesn't record what is written. I mean, if I were John, I'd be kind of trying to see what on earth, what, you know, what was Jesus writing? There are all kinds of speculations. But I wonder if Jesus isn't, in fact, almost doodling. Just as he thinks, just circling around in the dust. And because, yes, the law says to stone such a woman, there's no record in the scriptures that I've been able to identify where that punishment has actually been meted out for this kind of a, this kind of a crime. But Jesus doesn't want to say that the law is wrong. That would give them what they needed. But he also wouldn't say, go ahead and stone her because of the nature of who Jesus was and the relationship that he had with people and the one who cared for people, cared for sinners. And, and yet symbolically, as he's writing in the dust, He's pointing, he's pointing directly at our humanity. Remember that you are dust. We're just human. I wonder if Jesus isn't indicating the humanity of those who are there 
all of them who are there, and most particularly this terrified woman. And that, that he's reminding, reminding everyone, remember who you are, where you have come from. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. Just remember that. And then he responds by saying, you who are without sin, you can throw the stone. You be the first. And they leave the oldest to the youngest, of course, because the oldest have been around longest. They've had the most time to think about their lives and there aren't very many self-righteous old people. A lot of self-righteous young people. We all know that. <laughs> and they leave. And Jesus asks, has no one condemned you? She says, no one. Jesus, the one to whom God has given authority to judge, says, I don't either. And then he reminds her, go and sin no more. He doesn't say... It isn't sin. He just tells her to kind of not do it anymore. And, and thereby, she is set free. She's set free. And I believe that this passage is edited directly into this portion of God, John's gospel because of what follows when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you live in me, you live to the full. Live in me. Jesus, in so many ways, is saying, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not the kind of God that you may think I am. I'm not the God that afflicts you in the, in the, uh, in the wee morning hours when you wake up with a paroxysm of guilt because of something that you've done. I'm not like others who will talk about you behind your back. I'm not any of that. I'm with you fully God and fully human, but I am with you that you might have life and have it abundantly. And the abundance of life is not in those marginal activities that we call sin. Or I should say those central activities that we call sin. And so our Lord calls upon this woman to reside in his love, to reside in his light, and to live life in a new way from that point on. The story of David, I'm not sure why it was such a horrible thing that he counted his military men. He, God told him not to do a census, but he did a census anyway, and the story of David is that he did it and he was guilty of doing it. And then God asked him what kind of punishment he should receive. And he had a choice to be punished by men or to be punished by God. And David cried out, oh Lord, let me be punished by you. Let me not be cut loose in the hands of others because they are awful 
or they can be. They can be so awful. I had a woman come to me some number of years ago who came to me and, and she was obviously desperate. You don't, you don't come to a pastor with sexual sin typically because you think the pastor is going to be judgmental. And you don't come typically to a pastor with sexual sin unless you've, you've, really, you've really felt horrible. And she really felt horrible. She came to me because she had been through a series of, of relationships, none of which did she feel good about. And not to go into the detail at all, but just to say that she was also married. And she, she had such a hard time carrying this and, and yet felt like she couldn't, couldn't get out of it. But she came to me because early in the morning as she woke up, she woke up almost in a personal state of panic. She felt so judged, so accused. She felt like, like all eyes in the world were watching her and everyone was judging her. She woke up and her heart was, was racing and she didn't know what to do. She told me that she just, she just had to see me. I tried to remind her that sense of accusation. <laughs> How wonderful that Satan, that word means accuser. Satan means accuser. What she woke up with was a night terror where she was being accused by, by the devil himself. And, and she was longing for relief. She was longing to have some lifting of this horrific burden of feeling so judged and so accused. And I told her the story of Jesus with the woman. And I gave her the words of Jesus to the woman. That, that he does not condemn. And the reality is that as Jesus was writing in the dust, looking at the dust, Perhaps there was at that time in his own heart and mind and in his awareness that he would become dust on her behalf. That he would himself pay the price for her sin. And that is they both got up and they both walked away. She went back to a life that she would endeavor to make new. And he took his first steps to Calvary's cross to bear the sin of the world upon himself. 
It is in no way to minimize the reality of the sanctity of the human body and our bodies with one another in relationship to one another as well as to God. I feel our culture is doing a great disservice by by robbing us of a sense of dignity and sanctity of the great gift that God has given to us. And it is a gift of God. And yet, it is at its best when we honor God. The God who made us knows how we work best. So we go to his user's manual, to the scriptures, so that we might live in a manner that puts us on that path in this life to the best life that we can possibly live. There's one final story. I was invited by one of my professors when I was a senior in college to go to his house with three or four other students for a very special meal. I don't know why I got to go. It was religious studies, and I was going to seminary, so maybe I was invited because of that. It wasn't because I was smart. <laughs> because I was going to seminary. And at that time, so I was, I was early. It was 6 o'clock, and it was 5 o'clock. I was out driving the streets of Goleta and outside Santa, outside Santa Barbara, and I came upon a Darwiner schnitzel. Five hot dogs for a dollar. They're running a sale. I love, I don't even know if they're in business anymore, but I love their winter schnitzel. So I stopped, gave them a buck plus change, and got five hot dogs, and ate them all <laughs> before I went to the house. I got to the house, and it was a little later than everyone else, and we all greeted one another. And then I looked over at the table. She had shrimp, Alaskan king crab, and some little filet things. And I had ruined it with hot dogs. God wants this life to be full of shrimp and Alaskan king crab and fillets. <laughs> to make wise decisions as to how we live and how we treat our bodies. Will you join me in prayer? And thank you, O oh Lord, that you are not the accuser. You're the forgiver. You take the judgment, the accusation, the judgmentalism, the punishment, the horrific consequences onto yourself. And you take all of it and you deposit it in the depths of hell on our behalf. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you are the light of the world by whom we live.
We pray in your name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.